Hello. I hope your 2019 is going really well. I'm really excited about this recording today. I've recently um, received an email from a new yoga teacher who's been listening from the other side of the country. Um, and we've been in correspondence sending a couple of emails backwards and forwards. And she, she had a few really good questions that I think a lot of teachers are faced with when they first start teaching. So I promised Tracy, if you're listening, that I would create this and answer a couple of your questions. Um, so I'm just going to jump straight in and in particular just read a really common, common, common concern for a lot of new teachers. So Tracy's written in, how can we get our students to embrace props? I find they're reluctant to use them, maybe thinking they won't get the full benefit if they don't try to force themselves into the posture. I might have to experiment with a pure prop class, showing them the differences. Also, can you recommend a book on yoga contraindications and alternative postures? I'm finding the web is quite contradictory. All right. Um, I haven't actually really prepared this recording um, like I might some of my other ones in terms of just creating some bullet notes or anything. So I'm just kind of sort of draw from my experience um, and I know from what Tracy and I have um, kind of discussed in a previous email that uh, she's only just very recently finished her teacher training and I do receive a lot of um, correspondence from new teachers that are sort of just starting out on their teaching journey and finding it a, a challenge to tackle some of the really practical aspects of teaching yoga asana classes and connecting with um, their students and primarily um, in, you know, sort of newish classes that they're just starting out. Um, I remember when I first started teaching, I really struggled. It was... Um, it was a real challenge to even just remember my class plan and my sequence. Um, I had a lot of anxiety around standing up in front of a room filled with students. So I really sympathise and empathise with new teachers that are starting out. And the one thing I want to say from the get-go is yoga teach like being a yoga teacher and teaching yoga classes it's it's a practical skill and so the more you do the more familiar you're going to become with what works what doesn't um and it's one of the tricky things with most trainings out there at the moment I think there's so much um to do with you know, the anatomy and physiology and, you know, sitting and listening to lectures and um, having information delivered to you, but very, very little time is spent on actually teaching and developing those practical tools that are going to serve you really, really well when you're in a practical teaching environment. So, 
The first point I really want to drive home is whether you're at the very start of your teacher training or whether you've already completed your teacher training, start teaching as soon as possible. Even if it's just a half hour class, even if it's just a 15 minute seated meditation class, maybe you have a corporate job, maybe you work part-time somewhere, um, you know, start, take some initiative and say, look, you know, 15 minutes, beginning of our lunch break, I'm going to run you through a seated meditation or I'm going to guide you through a quick 15 minute seated yoga, you know, stretch and relax sequence or whatever it is, but just start teaching. I mean, ideal if you have a group of friends that you can have over and and have a dedicated space to actually teach a small class, um, that would be wonderful. But the more you put your teacher's hat on and step into that role, the faster you're going to learn and also the more confidence you're going to have moving forward in developing the skills that you need to be a really, really, really effective yoga teacher. So on this issue of encouraging students not just to use props, so I, I feel like definitely, you know, using props and, and encouraging students to use props is important, but even just sometimes getting students to take modifications is a challenge. If you want them to do one thing instead of, um, you know, another, or if you give options in a classroom, say, for example, you've instructed a lunge and you've given the option to have the back knee down or, you know, um, work with a different variation that it can be really difficult to get students to take the option that's most appropriate for them. And so this is where cueing and language becomes extremely important. One thing I always encourage my teachers on the mentorship to do is avoid using words like the easier option, the simpler option, the less uh, challenging option, the more challenging option. So anytime you're using language that is charged that way to indicate something is better or worse or easier or harder or on that scale, um, you're actually now starting to work into a student's ego, yeah? So you're running into that issue of, oh, well, I, I can, so I should. And it's not always a matter of easier, harder, better, um, more challenging. Sometimes it's simply for some people, this is more effective and for others, this is more effective. And so really having a good handle on why you would take one option instead of another. So I'll give you an example. If you're wanting to introduce props, say a blanket or a block or a bolster underneath someone's knees for a forward fold, a seated forward fold, say, for example, Paschimottanasana, um, then instead of saying something like, if you're really struggling with this and your hamstrings are really tight, I want you to take the bolster underneath your knees or take the blanket underneath your knees, I would try 
rephrasing that to something like, if you're finding there's a fair amount of rounding through your back, then it's much more effective to bend the knees and take the blanket underneath there so that you can lead with the chest forward and lengthen out through the spine. It's going to be a much more effective forward fold for you and you're going to get a lot more out of it working in this way. So you can see how, you know, obviously that second one, I really kind of drew it out. (laughs) I wouldn't necessarily talk that much in a class, um, especially if we're working through a shortish hold, but I just wanted to really arm you with the difference in language and how I would explain something like that. And that applies to absolutely everything. Um, You know, I wouldn't necessarily go to that extreme if I was working with um, a student who was very seasoned. You know, if, if I was working with a student who I had been working with and I do have them at the studio that have been coming for three, four years plus um, and that know how I work and we have that relationship that we've built up, I will just actually say to them, look, for where you are right now, this is the more appropriate option. Please take that. And that, you know, that will be that. And then, you know, if you have, you know, if they have questions because we have that relationship, it's well established, they will come up to me and say, well, look, you know, like, can you tell me what I can do to improve that? Or, you know, how, how should I be working with that in the future, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas if you are starting out, you don't have those relationships with your students. They're not longstanding. They are, they are fairly new. You really do need to navigate that ego with a little more sensitivity around propping modifications and options in classes. So that's the first thing I want to say about that. Um, The second thing I want to say about that is if you are using language like stronger, harder, um, you know, more challenging then I really need you to reflect on, you know, why why are you using that language? What effect are you trying to have on your students and on the class? And I think that this is something that, again, really uh, is missing perhaps in, in a lot of the training that's out there. When you start out a class, before you even plan the sequencing for the yoga postures for that class, you really want to ask yourself, how do I want my students to feel during this class? And how do I want them to feel at the end of this class? What effect do I want this practice to have on them? Not just physically. So I'm not just talking about, you know, designing a really amazing backbending class because they're all office workers and they need to open their, you know, their chest and work through the thoracic. No, I'm not just talking from that practical sense. I'm talking about what sort of um, en- energy, what sort of energetic quality are you going to bring to that class? And how do you want them to feel emotionally and psychologically at the end of that class as well? This is important because it should then really dictate the type of language that you're using and the energy with which you're coming to the class. So say, for example, you're teaching a 7 p.m. class 
and it's a gentle flow. Um, you know, I would be thinking, okay, it's midweek, it's Wednesday, hump day, everyone might be feeling a little meh. Um, you know, especially if it's sort of winter time, I'm thinking, okay, well, what poses and what energy can I bring to this class that's going to make them feel maybe a little more relaxed, that's going to make them feel like they can sort of leave all of the day's stresses at the door? Um, how am I going to keep them warm in this class? How am I going to set up so that the qualities and the energy that I'm bringing to the room with my tone, with my volume, with the sequence in which things are unfolding, you know, even something as simple as how much time I give them to move from standing to lying or from lying to seated, you know, just simple things like that, um, have a huge impact on the energy in the room and the students in the room. You know, if you compare, say, that gentle flow on a Wednesday night at 7.10 to a 6 a.m., you know, Monday morning class, very, very different quality, very different energy. And, you know, not even just in terms of, again, the physical postures and the asana, but in the qualities that I'm bringing to that room through my own, um, my own personality, my own voice and my own energy. So that's, that's very, very important just to kind of ask yourself, what effect, who am I teaching? What impact and how do I want them to feel the end of this hour or however long you have with them? Um, now, if we talk about propping in particular and just looking at, you know, using bolsters, blankets and blocks, etc. Um, I would actually get out into the space and I do. I, I really, really um, encourage all of the teachers that I mentor to get off the mat at the front of the room. So there is this habit that a lot of um, inexperienced teachers get into very early on and that is just staying on their yoga mat at the front of the room and doing the class with their students and this is a really um, it's a difficult one because obviously I understand that it can be really hard for you to remember all of the cueing and you know sometimes you feel your students need those visual cues but for the most part, if your verbal cues are developed and if you've worked on them and really th thought through them, you should be able to work the room, walk around and give those verbal cues as you're supporting and helping other students in the space. So this is really important um, because then if you're free to get off your mat at the front of the room and actually walk around and 
be with specific students and give them specific props and options and things to work with, then one, they feel like they're really getting a lot of attention. They feel like they're being seen. They also feel like the class is really about them and where they're at with their body and not so much concerned about copying you and doing what you're doing at the front of the room. And so that's really important. I would um, really encourage you as early as possible to get off your mat at the front of the room and move around. In fact, um, those of you that attend my classes know it is extremely rare that I would demonstrate even like a pose in a class. Um, And when I do, I get everyone to sit down and watch so it becomes a workshopping situation. It's not where I'm doing and they're doing because you've got to also take into consideration if they're trying to see me at the front of the room, their head and neck is going to be in all sorts of positions, which is not going to be what you're working towards and not healthy as well. You know, if they're in a down dog and they're trying to see something you're doing at the front of the room, they're building up a whole lot of tension in their neck. Not only that, but if you are hoping to move into teaching um, in a in any sort of full-time capacity, um, you just won't be able to do it teaching in that way. Like there is no way I could teach the amount of classes I'm teaching now and have taught for many, many years if I had to be doing every single class that I'm teaching. Um, It's just not sustainable and it's not safe for your body as well. So that's the other thing. So using positive language is the first one. Second one, getting off your mat and walking around the room to really support students. And to do that, you are going to need to work on your verbal cueing. Just while we're on that topic of verbal cueing, um, really common for your first year or maybe even two years of teaching after you've done your training, that you actually parrot your own teacher. So that's very, very normal. Um, And a lot of teachers sort of come to me and they're like, oh, you know, like I find myself repeating or sounding just like my teacher and it's really hard to come up with my own voice. And, you know, that that is a challenge. It is it is a struggle. And it took me a good two to three years to get past that and get through that. But try every single time you're putting together a new sequence, something you haven't taught before to actually come up with a list of all of the verbal cues that might be effective for instructing that class. And that's really extensive work. Like that will take you a long time. Your class prep will take you a long time if you're doing this, you know. If you're coming up with all of the potential cues you can give someone in, say, a down dog, you know, you can very easily come up with, you know, two two A4 um, sheets of paper with potential cues. Now, of course, you're not going to give all of them, but having those cues written down and having the time to think about them instead of going into autopilot is really, really good because it means that you're going to be a little bit closer to developing your own voice and your own teaching style as well through that. That's the other thing I would encourage you to do. Um, When I first started my teaching, I spent hours and hours and hours on class prepping 
Um, so this is the other thing that I often talk to my teachers about, you know, it's very easy to get complacent and just teach the same sequence every week. Um, and you know, like if I have three or four different classes in the week that I know are not going to have the same students in them, I will really, um, teach the same class every time if it's appropriate for the people in the room. Um, and certainly did that early on. But if I have the same students coming to the same classes, then obviously that variety is going to be really helpful for them. So just keep that in mind, coming up with class plans every week, setting that time aside to design them, not just the asana, but also really reflecting on what's the, what, what, what am I bringing to them? How do I want them to feel at the end of the class? What am I going? How am I going to hold this space? What energy am I going to create? And then also really spending some time thinking about cueing. So you can see, you know, that's a lot. It's a lot of work already. And um, you know, this is the thing. I I think it's it's very easy to be mediocre, and it's very easy to just um, copy and stay with what we know. It's much more challenging to innovate and come up with something new and fresh and it requires a lot more um, from you as a teacher, a lot more of your time and energy to actually put into um, planning these classes for your beautiful students. In terms of resources, is that's another question that I've been asked a lot about, like what books should I get and what podcasts should I listen to and what YouTube channels should I follow? And look, there, there is um, at the moment there's a real issue with just information overload, especially in this space of yoga and and, um, and yoga classes. I was recently doing some um, private sessions coaching uh, a, a yoga teacher who's done so much. She's, I won't mention her name because I haven't asked her permission, but um, she's the most nurturing, beautiful um, person. And she's done extensive amounts of training over years. And has been teaching uh, regular classes once a week or twice a week. Um, and look, she came to me very frustrated and saying, like, it's just taking up so much of my time. This class planning is just taking forever. And, you know, I kind of dug a little deeper and I wanted to know like, exactly what she was spending her time on and where she was going with her planning. And, you know, it turns out that, you know, she would hop on YouTube and watch some different yoga sequences and then think, oh yes, that's good. And then that video would lead into another video and that video would lead into another video. And then there'd be some article linked to that video. So then she'd read the article. (laughs) And then before you know it, there was like a whole day gone. Um, And so, You know, here's the thing. Information is a great thing. It's a great tool, but you really need to know how to use that and apply that. 
And so here's the thing we do at the studio with the mentorship, and I get all of the teachers to do this from the very beginning right through to even those that are now teaching independently, unsupervised. When you're done teaching a class, you've taught it, so you've spent the time, you know, preparing it, you've taught it, there should always be some deviation off the plan because you're never going to know exactly what, you know, who's coming to class and even if you know exactly who's coming to class, normally they show up and something new has come up for them or, um, or you know, there's something with the weather or something that you had planned, thought would work out in one way and then it didn't, so you had to deviate. So that's really common and if that happens, it's a really good thing. But you want to have a solid amount of reflections after every class that you teach early on. So say we, we actually have a set of questions that, that I've handed to the teachers that they go over after every class and they actually reflect on how the class went for them, if they changed anything, why they changed, um, what they did in the class and also if they saw anything in particular going on with a student um, and, you know, points that they need to remember for next time or things they need to read up about for next time. Maybe if someone came in with, you know, um, issues with their ITB or L4, L5 or, you know, whatever the case is, if they've if they've had a student with a specific issue that day to actually reflect and do some study on that and that's definitely something that helped me in the beginning um, is to go back every time I had a new student or someone with a new issue to actually go and do some reading and some researching around that and then also um, think about how I could best support them with yoga as well so that did wonders for my learning process early on and then also thinking about any feedback that I received after that class from students. So actually asking students, how was that for you today? Um, and then, of course, open-ended questions, um, avoiding yes-no answers, and really extracting as much information from your students as possible. So those are the key things Um that I would suggest you do on a very practical level to improve. And that's the, the best resource you really have above all of the videos and all of the books. And I'm really not, you know, like I'm not kidding when I say this, the best resource you have is your students. If you listen to them and if you watch them in the class, watch their patterns of movement, watch where they're stuck, watch where they struggle, watch their breath. Yes, watch their facial expressions, watch what they're doing with their eyes. You know, you will learn so much about your teaching, your sequencing, yoga, the effects of yoga and what's going on for them. So, um, and then also how you can best support them. All right. So just keeping that in mind, the best resource you have is your students so please get up in front of them as often as you can and ask them and please make it a safe environment. Don't ask for feedback and then get defensive. <laughs> don't ask for feedback and then shut them down when they say something that you don't want to hear. 
um, that's going to stunt your growth. They're there to support you and help you as much as you're there to support and help them. And it's an absolute privilege that we have students in the first place. Um, some books. I'm mentioning these primarily because, um, you know, that I, I know that it, they've helped me um, and I've had them in my library most of these for quite a long time. So they might help you. Uh, Heart of Yoga is a must. I would suggest that for all yoga teachers, whether you're in the Vinny Yoga lineage or not makes no difference. Um, it is a great, great book on yoga beyond just asana, but of course there is asana covered in there as well and teaching practices. Um, Religiousness in Yoga is another one um, by Deskacha, and that is... I just love the way that book is put together. Um, there are questions and responses in there. And yeah, it's a really, it's a good one. I refer to that one a lot. Uh, in terms of the philosophy, the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali um, by Edwin, Edwin Bryant is one. Um, that's, the, that's the main one that I refer to personally. Um, and I find that quite useful for my own reading then there's I think every teacher needs a good anatomy book the one I often um, refer to is David Keel's functional anatomy of yoga so I quite I quite like that but I do have a lot of anatomy reference books um, and flashcards and all sorts of things just because I'm a little bit of a geek um, and then there's another book by Mel Robin and it's, um, it's called A Physiological Handbook for Teachers of Yoga Asana. And that's uh, one that I have referred to many, many times. That, that last one's a bit heavy going um, and it's not a light read by any means. Neither is um, Bryant's... Um, book on Patanjali's Yoga Sutras. Most teachers that are starting out, when they get those two, they're like, oh, wow, I think I'll just shelve them for a little while. So I just want to come back to that point of it is a practice. And so getting out there and teaching lots and lots and lots of different bodies and minds is going to help you greatly on your journey so please um, take every opportunity you can I'm just going to open up a can of worms at the very end of this recording and look please feel free to write in and email and whatever else um, if you have other opinions I'm happy to hear them but when I first started teaching I cannot tell you the number of classes that I taught for free and I, I tell my teachers this all the time, for free, like hundreds of hours of teaching where I charged zero dollars. Um, and there were classes at studios, you know, um, I was quite lucky, I think, also because I was very giving early on. A lot of people um, welcomed me into their communities, whether it was in a workplace, whether it was... Um, in a studio 
or in a gym or wherever it was, but because I was so happy to just offer up whatever I had to offer up as a new teacher for very little in return, um, people were very welcoming and I got lots of opportunities to teach. Um, And there were, you know, there were times that I was like, why am I doing this? Like, you know, it's so much time and so much energy. And so, you know, there were times definitely where I was like, this is tough. You know, why am I putting in all this energy and time? But I loved it. I enjoyed it. I, I, I loved supporting students and getting that feedback from them on how, how helpful yoga had been for them and whatever they were struggling with at that time. So I would encourage you to get out there in, into your community and offer up what you know and your knowledge and your teaching, um, regardless of how inexperienced you are. I always feel a little sad when I, I, um, I hear from teachers who've done training and they're like, oh, yeah, I did my training, but I never got into teaching because, you know, I just don't have it, you know, or I just didn't feel confident enough and it wasn't, you know, like I didn't feel like I was ready. And there, there's no such thing as being ready, you know, it's if you're going to wait to be ready, then you're never going to be ready. You just have to get out there and do it now. Teach now. Your husband. Teach your sisters. Teach whoever you can get your hands on. And teach for them, not for you. Remember that. Such an important thing as a teacher. You're not teaching them your yoga that you do for your body. Teach them yoga for their body, for where they're at, not for where you're at. And that's another huge difficulty for teachers early on. We forget what it's like to be in a tight, stiff, weak body or even in a diseased body. And that's why I always say, you know, anyone who's got any struggles um, physically and health-wise, it does make you a much more um, empathic teacher and it helps you to connect with your students. So don't ever allow your own injuries and illness to hold you back from your teaching. Um, Use them to strengthen and bolster your teaching and your understanding. And I think that's enough for this recording. As you can see, I could talk about this for days and days and days. Tracy, I really hope that that was helpful in some way. There's a lot of information in there, but you can always come back and listen to it again. And if any of you have um, any questions or comments, I am always happy to hear them. Um, You know where to find me, www.yogainmotion.com.au. I'm in Sydney. So if you're ever around, do drop in and come and say hello. I do love hearing from you. In the meantime, keep moving and breathing and I'll see you on the mat real soon. Bye for now.